You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? We are back. It is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Back in your life, I'm Matt Perino, joined as always by Ryan Talbot, and we are locked and loaded uh, for a, a, a fresh episode of Shout after a week off. Went to New York City, did the family thing. Now we're going to get this thing cranked up again because, Ryan, we only have T-minus nine days until training camp. This thing is sneaking up on us like never before, and we're bringing in the big guns. By request, I asked you guys to um, you know, kind of shout us out Send me an email, send me a DM. Who do you want to come on the show? And John Crick from the Toronto Sun uh, was a popular choice. So, John, welcome in and thank you for joining us. I'm flattered. Again, I always enjoy coming out with you guys and uh, you know your stuff um, and, you, and you guide me through all this. So it's all real good. I'm not <laughs> I'm not Mr. Tech. OK, I'm you know, I still got a daytimer, a written daytimer. So it just shows you how much of a Luddite I am. But uh, you guys are- <laughs> Pilot me through this. Very good. Speaking of piling us through this, Ryan Talbot, uh, we are brought to you by Value Home Centers. And right now, if you text VALUE, V-A-L-U, to 80692, that signs you up for VALUE's text program. You will start uh, receiving exclusive coupons. You'll get weekly deals and so much more. Value Home Centers, they got everything you need. All right. So where do you want to start, Ryan? I will I will hand you the keys. Yeah. So, so John, Matt mentioned training camp nine days away in terms of storylines. What's in your opinion, what's the biggest storyline that you're keeping an eye on as camp kicks off? You mean bills or the whole bills bills related first? Yes. Well, we want to see the cornerback and then we got to make sure that uh, the other one comes back. Right. Um, if the rookie Elam, how do you pronounce his first name guys? Is it Kyrie? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if he if he's all the deal uh, as a first round pick, I mean, then does that mean that uh, Tredavious has to be the guy right out of the gates? It's going to be real hard. I mean, you, you uh, listen to the the experts, the uh, the medical experts. They say you know if you've got a position where um, burst and uh, positional flexibility on the field, I don't mean by position uh, player position, but moving around, uh, you need burst going in any direction suddenly. Sometimes it takes those guys a whole year to come back. So can Tredavious be the Tredavious that we saw before he blew out his ACL? That's got to be one of the top, uh, if not the top concern for the Bills, because if they have those two, we know what they did up front defensively. And I'd like to talk about that in relation to the schedule, why I think exactly they did that. Um, And I think a lot of the, I bet the Bills coaches just can't wait to send out this new, uh, new look up front defense this season, see how they do. That's really interesting that you, that you start there because I think that within the fan base, there's almost this, I'll say majority that kind of think that it's going to be plug and play for Tredavious White, right? Like we've heard from the coaching staff. We've heard from Brandon Bean talk about the work that he's been doing behind the scenes. I mean, you know, if you talk to anybody that knows Tredavious White, I mean, the, the the work ethic, I mean, there's been plenty of stories that have been written about it. I mean, the guy just studies film when he's supposed to be playing with his daughter. He basically puts, you know, family life on hold during the season so he can really dedicate himself to the game. I can't imagine the frustration that he has with what happened, we haven't, we still haven't talked to Tredavious White. So in training camp, this will probably be the first chance we get to sit down and kind of recap what went on. We still haven't really covered all of that from his perspective. We've gotten the player's point of view, the heartbreak of it down the stretch, a Super Bowl contender that has to go into the playoffs without one of their leaders. Now we're at that phase where he's probably getting close to the point where he can get back on a football field. But what it looks like, Ryan, it's anybody's guess what that's going to look like. 
Yeah. And to John's point, listen, there's certain things you have to do to be an elite cornerback in this league. And White pre-injury was able to do that. Uh, Does he have the confidence? Does he have the burst? Is he able to look like the the Trey White of old out of the gate? History says no. And, you know, when you look at other players that have come back from this injury, it's something that's gradual. It takes time. It might be mid-season before he returns to form. The silver lining for the Bills here is one, they drafted Kyrie Elam in round one. This is a, another guy that uh, kept a notebook of, of what he did well, what he could learn from. Kind of seemed like a Trey White in that regard in terms of the work that he was putting in at the college level. And then you have Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson, to his credit, when he was plugged in last year in that cornerback spot, I thought he fared very well for the Bills, opposite Levi Wallace at that point. Uh, and obviously the safety duo of Hyde and Poyer play a big role in that. The fact that uh, you can bring out two cornerbacks that no proven number one guy. And, and for the most part, up until that Kansas City game in the playoffs, the, the cornerback position, in my opinion, played pretty well. What, what, what were your initial thoughts, John, when the Bills signed Von Miller? Because for us, people that are super glued into this team, you know, how, you know, expectations, putting out all those primers for free agency completely threw us through a loop. I mean, Chandler Jones was somebody that we're talking quite a bit about. and Maybe some of those second tier pass rushers, the Emmanuel Agbas of the world. But the Bills go out, Brandon Bean goes out and reels in really the top fish, which I think a lot of people thought was on his way back to the Rams. And if not the Rams, probably home to Denver or a big market like Dallas. Right. Everything's been, we could talk about the, you know, the recent, you know, kind of uprising of Bill's mafia uh, about how Von Miller, you know, arrived at this decision and the fact that he kind of second guessed it. But the fact that they have him now, they're going into the season with a, what I believe is still a premier pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on how that all tra- transpired? Yeah, I was I was uh, surprised, pleasantly surprised, uh, especially for Bills fans. I know I've got a lot of them up here, including my boss is a big Bills fan. So, you know, uh, I always uh, have some uh, lively conversations with him, especially after the loss in Kansas City. But we don't <laughs> want to go there. Um, boy, my ear burned for about three days after that. Um, <laughs> it was tough. But if you look at what Von Miller did with the Rams, you know, he's coming off injury about the time he got traded, right, from Denver. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't that effective right away, either, you know, in the stats, if all you're looking at is pro football reference or if you're actually watching some of it. But by December, he was at, he was almost at a sack a week pace. If you And I think it was, actually, if I remember from my uh, Super Bowl preview uh, copy. By, by the time he hit early December, he was Vaughn Miller again. At least that's how he looked, and his stats kind of bore that out. So if the Bills are getting that guy, I mean, everybody knows in, in, in Western New York and Central Ontario and everywhere beyond who's a big Bills fan that they needed help with the pass rush, especially late in games. And Von Miller is, is going to bring you up that way. Uh, I, I'd be shocked if he didn't have a great season for the Bills. I'm not saying he's going to get 15 sacks, but he's going to be impactful and he's going to be impactful at the right times because from what he what I saw, what he did in the playoffs, um, and especially in the Super Bowl, there was nowhere – uh, in the NFC Championship game, actually almost even more than that down the stretch. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have time to do anything. Um, and then, of course, now there's Joe Burrow in the second half of the Super Bowl. So if he can do even 80% of that, I think the Bills are going to be, and all their fans will be really happy with Von Miller. And it's it was a, we've seen that with Brandon Bean. Oh, we need that? You know, it's almost like you get conditioned sometimes in a fan base that we're going to go out and get everything but that, that one thing, those two things that we need. And Brandon Bean has proved in five years that, oh, we need some receivers. Like what, three years ago, he goes out and gets receivers. Need to block for Josh Allen better to give him a chance. He goes and signs a, a bunch of veterans. Uh, they kind of patch it together that first year, but still they improve. So he's going to do what has to be done. And if he's got the cap room, as he now usually does, to make a big splash, he's going to go and get that guy. John, follow up. Uh, you mentioned the fan base. You know, some of the fan base members have been a little upset the last week or so with Von Miller for comments that he's made. Oh, I would have taken less money to go to the Cowboys, uh, referring to the Denver Broncos as we. I mean, he spent the majority of his career there. Uh, the comments about how he was really torn about to leaving the Rams. Is that refreshing in your opinion to hear an athlete be that open and honest um should the fans really be that upset that he he has been that upfront in terms of his thinking and that process uh that he went through in free agency yeah i think we probably all of us especially us in the, in the media um tend to now over um 
overinflate some things that athletes say. Um, honesty is always refreshing. It's kind of ironic that we're talking about this tonight because this morning I, in my uh, weekly newsletter, I wrote about Baker Mayfield and how mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw some of his comments yesterday um, uh, being introduced uh, via Zoom news conference to the Panthers media. He was just going, he was saying all the right things. It was like it was Tom Brady or Peyton Manning in their 15th season, uh, just, you know, taking a, uh, a tennis racket to these little balloon balls that are thrown up by the press and knocking them down. And, and you know, are you, are you bitter against the Browns? No, no, no. I, I, four good years there. He said all the right things. And so part of me rewarded him for that. And it's like, because I think he needs to be that type of a leader um, that the players can, and the team can rally behind, let alone the fans. But it's funny that, you know, part of me was also a little wistful. It's like, yeah, but I kind of like that old Baker Mayfield who would say anything that was on his mind. Right. So I guess we can all be, uh, of two minds on those things, but in the end, no one's going to remember this come the first preseason game, let alone the first regular season game. I want to also, you know, speaking of follow-ups, like back up a little bit to another thing that you said about Brandon Bean and kind of dive into that a little bit more. We have now quite a large sample size to analyze when it comes to being and the way that this build has happened. I mean, you know, you listen to a lot of the national folks talk about the Bills as this blueprint, right? That a lot of other teams are going to try to go out and find their quarterback, you know, build around that quarterback, but also really address both sides of the line. What we're seeing now with Brandon Bean, to your point, is somebody that isn't afraid alongside with Sean McDermott, definitely, but isn't afraid to find out, you know, where there are liabilities and then quickly pivot off of maybe some, a direction they were going early on. We saw it with the wide receivers when they were going, you know, originally with these big body, large target catch radius guys, they said, okay, this isn't working. We're going to go to the Smurfs, right? The, the little speedy guys, defensive line, they went with, you know, Go with numbers. You know, we we throw with eight, nine different people out on the rotation. We'll just throw fresh bodies at you. That wasn't working. Now they go out and get a premier guy in Von Miller. I mean, is Brandon Bean, in your estimation now, somebody that covers the NFL, is he really one of the top GMs in the league? And can other teams emulate what, what's happened here, replicate it? Oh, I think they already are. Absolutely, they already are. Um, you look at what they've done. I mean, he had to get the cap under control first. Um, and did and made some bold moves. I mean, getting rid of Sammy Watkins and others um, at the time, if I recall, was like there was, you know, enough disappointment in what Sammy was doing that there was some disappointment. But if he ha- if he himself had drafted him, which I don't think he would have done, you know, I don't think he would have traded up, then maybe you don't do come some of those bold moves when he got there. But how he and Sean are going about this as a partnered duo I think that will be, we will see more of that, and not just because of their success, but because it works. It's either you have a czar, right? You've got Andy Reid, who, or you got a Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick, who's who's not directing their GMs, but they're they're very much saying, "This is what I need. Go get me that." You know, the year last time I was at a training camp, uh, any of us were at, uh, at a training camp as far as uh, you know, some in depth as- access was 2019, and I was at Kansas City's first day there, and I remember Nicole Hardman walking in, and everybody talking to him. Why did they get Nicole Hardman? Because if you remember that off season, Tyree Kill had that uh, that domestic incident with mm. his uh, future wife, his pregnant future wife, and there was uncertainty as to whether he would come back. I'm sure Andy Reid before the draft, when that was well known by then, said to Brett Veach, "Get me another Tyree Kill," and they did. That was their. <laughs> Either I think it was second round pick, but I think that might have been their first choice of that draft. At any rate, so I think you either have a, a have a czar or you have two guys that get along because the Bills during the drought sure saw a lot of examples more than anyone wants to recount or remember of what happens when your GM and your head coach aren't on the same page or whoever the, the head talent football guy in the office is with the head coach. There's all the strife. Nobody wants to remember that. But this works. And I think this is a model that if you're going to have a two-headed monster instead of one, then I don't know what they could be doing any better after five years of, of what they're doing. The roster, as you say, is everybody's uh, just frothing over it. Um, they're going to be on the cover of all these magazines coming out. It's going to be Josh Allen and and uh, and probably Matthew Stafford and and uh, Patrick Mahomes on the cover of most of these mags. We don't get them as early as you do there. You might already have them at your new stands in the States. Um <laughs> But I expect that that'll be the case and that uh, there are already a lot of people's picks to win the Super Bowl. And they've and it's not smoke and mirrors. They've got a solid roster that they went and improved in this past offseason. Impressively. 
Yeah, and it's funny to think back on that, uh, trading away your number one wide receiver and cornerback back-to-back same day within an hour of each other because it was Ronald Darby and Sammy Watkins both gone. And, you know, for a regime that was new, that was a a risky play, and obviously it paid off. But, John, before we get away from Von Miller, D-line, you said something early on about something you thought was interesting about the way they built up this roster and free agency, and it had to do with the schedule. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that now. Yeah, well, okay. So I'll refer to a couple of notes here, all right? So I'm not looking away to be rude. But look at what they did in the defensive line. I thought that was impressive. And I'm just speculating here, and maybe they maybe they talked about this at some point uh, in the offseason that I missed, but I don't, I don't believe they did. So you've got Vaughn Miller. That's the edge. That's the pass rush. But what else did Buffalo struggle at, especially down the stretch and especially against New England? Stopping the run. Saw it against Indianapolis. And for a head coach, and I believe Bean as well, they want to win a certain way. They want to be tough. They want to be defensively sound. And yes, Buffalo went into the playoffs with the statistical number one defense. I don't think anybody came away from the playoffs uh, believing that that they had the best defense in 2021 in the NFL. They didn't. And I believe that that they went ahead and looked at, look at the roster, look at the teams we're playing, and look at what, are they likely to run more, try to run more this year? or not, or do they just have a great running back that we want to stop? So, first week, Rams. Their receiver core isn't what it was last year, right? They've got Cooper Cup. They're they're probably not going to have OBJ, or if they do, he's not going to be ready to go. And they traded away the other ACL, uh, uh, Robert Woods, uh, to Tennessee. So they're not going to have what I always think you have to have to have a, uh, a co- to make a quarterback look the best and have the offense function most properly. You have to have three elite receiving targets. When you have that like Brady at Tampa Bay in 2020, for instance. I mean, Scotty Miller might have even been the fourth, if you want, uh, the way he was playing with uh, his little smurfy, speedy self, to use your term. Mm-hmm. That. But you look at what <laughs> Buffalo's first opponents, so the Rams, they're probably going to run more. I look at them and go, all right, quickly, are they going to try to run more because I always like to with McVay? Yes. Will they test Buffalo defensively against the run? Yes. That's week one. Tennessee, did you say more? They, they rank fifth in rushing and they've got Derrick Henry. Of course, they're going to try to run it. Miami, I expect they will, especially with the core running backs that they just got, right? Edmonds, everybody else. The fourth, Baltimore. They were third in the NFL in rushing, and they lost like their top eight running backs, all with ACL bears by August. Right. I mean, I mean, it was crazy, right? And that yet, even though it's Lamar Jackson's not the whole running game, they're still third. Are they going to try to run it against the Bills? Are they going to test it? Sure. Okay. Now we're into October. Pittsburgh, they don't have Big Ben anymore, and uh, they lost – Juju Smith-Schuster, absolutely they're going to run it more. They should have run it more last year, but they definitely will now, I believe, with whoever ends up winning the quarterback battle. All right, now we're into mid-October at Kansas City. Yeah, you know, one of the, if you want to call it a sleeper acquisitions, Ronald Jones I always thought was fabulous with the Bucks the last two, three seasons. And I always thought he was underrated. And when, when they brought in, um, why, is that, why is his name? Uh, Fournette. Fournette from Jacksonville. I, it, it almost diminished Jones's role. I mean, Fournette was playing fabulously, uh, both out of the backfield as well as mm-hmm. running, uh, which he didn't do in Jacksonville. But I thought Jones was really underrated. And so I think they might run it maybe a little more, especially with Tyreek Hill gone, right? Then they got to buy the Bills. And then Devil's Night, we're at the end of October, Green Bay. Who do they have? Aaron Jones. November 6th at the Jets. There's your center green circle on your bingo card. Uh, November 13th. Minnesota, Dalvin Cook, one of the best running backs in the league. And then after that, Cleveland. So going into the game in Detroit on Thanksgiving, almost every week you could make an argument, and this is before even playing the Patriots twice at the end of the season, you could make the argument that everybody's going to try to test that front. And I think they didn't know what order they were going to get these guys. And obviously when they made these decisions, because the schedule didn't come out until May, but I believe Bean and McDermott went, People are going to test us that way. And if our cornerbacks just, you know, with the young one, and if and if Trey can't come up to speed right away, we better at least damn well better stop the run. And I think that is what informed those uh, those off-season veteran uh, moves inside. Getting Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips, that was important stuff. And uh, I believe that that's really going to help them. It's so interesting that you bring that up. I was... Uh, over the over my vacation, I was listening to Eric Wood's appearance on Boston with the Boys, and I thought, you know, if you're a Bills fan and you haven't checked that out yet, I mean, there's some really good, you know, intel on there that Eric Wood shared. I mean, he's he's super plugged in with the Bills, even still. He does the radio broadcast, but you know, he said 
Daquan Jones, Roger Saffold address toughness on both sides of the line. And that's something that he even admitted was a priority going into the, into the off season after what happened last year. And I, I think that they've been trying to build that to your point, John, for years, it just, they haven't had the right components there to make it kind of happen. And when they lost Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, not only did they lose a lot of toughness back in 2019, they also lost kind of the, the heart and soul of the defensive line. Like, Ed Oliver is a, a really fun, nice, exciting young player, but he's not the guy that's going to like supercharge the line, right? Like he's going to win most of the time with flash, with athleticism, with speed, with quickness. And usually, you know, when you're an undersized guy like that, you probably can't take a lot of time to spend, you know, after the play getting, you know, in some of that extracurricular stuff, you got to get right back to the line and, and get after it again. He's at a disadvantage every time he rushes against some of these guards in the league. Now he's a good player, but I, I, I think you get my point. Yeah. And so what they did is to your point is they went out there and they just got really beefy, really nasty. I think the early things that I've heard about Daquan Jones are that he's a guy that offensive linemen just hate when they see that he's on the schedule. And now that you have a little bit of that toughness that can maybe sprinkle itself everywhere else. And in Lawson, I bring him up. Taylor Lewan on the podcast, I almost wrote a post on this, Ryan, I may still, said one of the most memorable moments of his career was when he was playing the Bills back in 19 or 18, whatever year it was, and it was a meaningless game. The Bills were, you know, not, not what they are now, but he'll never forget it because he had a little bit of a, a tussle with Shaq Lawson in that game, and Bills Mafia still to this day do not let him off the hook on social media for that, and I thought that was a funny thing, but, you know, toughness, Energy, those are things that at times last year I thought that, that front was missing. Yeah, and just sucking up onto some guards and centers and mucking up the works inside in the offensive line. Uh, you need guys that are willing to do that all game long or, you know, when, within their rotation of, of when they get their snaps. But I just get the hunch. That's my hunch of reading their offseason moves, which I think have been – you can do that with Bean. You can back up. What did they try to do this past offseason? What did they need? What were their big needs going in? And he – Guy goes and checks those boxes, right? And so I'm looking at that going, hmm, they must have thought they really should do that. And then that's what, when the schedule came out, that's when I was looking at it and go, oh, right. They looked at who they're playing this year and went, people are going to try to run on us uh, and and try to do what New England did, right? And I mean, you don't you don't want your safeties as, as make, trying to make uh, 25 tackles a game. Uh, like it seemed like uh, Hyde especially was trying to be doing against that first game in the, in the wind festival there uh, against the Patriots. They want to stop that up front. That's where you that's where you stop the run is up front in the front seven, and especially in the interior of the of the defensive line. So that was just a it's just a theory of mine, but that's what I kind of put together. And if it's worth two thirds of four fifths of nothing all, then that's what it's worth. But that's how I kind of interpreted it. I think it's actually a great theory based on the schedule and everything else. But also when, when you have an explosive offense like Buffalo has, what's the best way to stop that offense is to keep them off the field. Mm-hmm. So if the teams can run, that keeps Buffalo off the field. So now you bring in Daquan Jones, you bring back Jordan Phillips, you bring in a, a player named Tim Settle from Washington who forced his way onto the field in Washington, despite that entire defensive line being nothing but first round players. So uh, I think you're right on the money with what Brandon Bean did. He looked at what, you know, what their weaknesses were, what, how they could get tougher up front, because that helps the linebacker position. Uh, That helps obviously in the secondary as well, like you said. So great observations, John in the AFC is who's the biggest threat to the bills. Is there a threat to the bills? And if not, who's playing for second place? I think it's going to be hard for the Patriots to hold off New uh, Miami. Now, I know what I just said. <laughs> New England, most years when they're in a situation like this, are going to overachieve, and the Dolphins are going to be the Dolphins. Who are we kidding here, right? And I've got a new coach again, right? But just with the sheer talent and the experienced talent that they have brought in, with the draft being practically a, an afterthought uh, in, in so many ways, I just with Tyreek Hill, he alone changes some of the the competitive balance within the AFC. I'm sure. I mean, I didn't listen to to the sports radio or anything that in, during the draft. I was I was busy, but I figured that Bills fans must just be celebrating and almost popping the champagne corks that Patrick Mahomes doesn't have Tyreek Hill to throw to anymore. That's a good thing. But now you got to face him twice. <laughs> That's not not so much the good thing, right? Because he is just a special talent. Nobody has his his breakaway speed. Um, and we, we saw that in the, in the playoff late in the playoff game. That was just 
was there any other receiver in the league that could have scored that quickly as he did just streaming through that great secondary? Uh, no, um, I, I doubt that anybody else could have done what he did on that play on just a simple pass play. Um, but I got to think it's the Dolphins. I mean, they have the new coach, Mike McDaniel. And here's the other thing, too, about, you know, if you want to continue that theory of the of the schedule and the, and the defensive line. Well, I expect Miami to try to run it. Maybe everyone thinks it's, oh, it's going to be flash and flash. Well, Mike McDaniel came from where? San Francisco. What does Kyle Shanahan, after his dad, what do they base everything in their offense around? Successful running attack. Everything offshoot is an offshoot of that. And that's how best, I believe, they can protect and uh, get the most out of Tua is by having a strong running attack. So I expect we're going to see that out of them. You know, when you look at what they did in one season, I was really impressed last year with what the Patriots did uh, with all those signees, which when you look back on it, made them better. It did make them great, right? You look what Miami did, and you can go down the list. I mean, I'm not going to do that now, but they really improved their roster at a bunch of positions. And counter to that is I don't see how New England got better. Is there anybody that you guys have heard that thinks New England can be even as good as they were last year? Because I don't. No, I mean, they lose a cornerback in, in J.C. Jackson. The, the draft was pretty underwhelming. They get to the first round. They take a, a prospect in Cole Strange, who might end up being a great prospect, a great player. But most places had a late second, early third round grade on him. So a uh, very bizarre offseason for New England. If they losing the two guards. Yeah. I mean, you're you automatically I think if you if you're the opponents of the Patriots going into the season going they're not going to be able to protect him as well and he's a young quarterback you got to do it so again I think they're going to try to run it more this year god I know it sounds like I'm going back to 1977 or something but uh, <laughs> you just look at the schedule and you, and you look at these teams and they're in their specific situations and it would make sense if they did and I think they, they'll run more too I know that um Mac Jones is not even in the same mold of a quarterback as Lamar Jackson. And obviously I don't want to put them in the same caliber of player, but if you look at this offense and the way that it's construction constructed, I mean, Devonte Parker in his own right, I've downplayed the signing a little bit because I don't know if he necessarily fits the modern day prototype one receiver mm-hmm. per se. And I don't think he's going to cure all their ills, but he's probably actually a better receiver than anybody Baltimore has right now. Now, Rashad Bateman, he might be somebody that can develop over the course of the season and maybe turn into something that, that that's better than what Parker's been in this league or what he ends up being. And maybe Parker there ignites Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. Maybe they, they get something going. But I look at this team, and it, to me, it comes down to the money they spent at the tight end position. Can they schematically, philosophically find a way to really utilize and emphasize Johnu Smith, especially, who was invisible for most of last season, right. and obviously Hunter Henry. No, I, I totally – I was waiting all year for the bust-out game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was – in some ways, I thought, okay, the Patriots are going to go back to uh, when they had, you know, Gronk and Hernandez, the the, the two terrorizing tight ends, and it, it didn't come anywhere close to that. But Mac Jones, you know, I think he, he kind of showed everybody, and just as we saw with, with Josh in year three and then again last season – Accuracy really is the whole like – we can talk about arms and they can set fire to the air with their arms and everything like that. Well, Jamarcus Russell could do that, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, there's been a lot of quarterbacks that, that have the arm. But can you complete passes under pressure and find them uh, is almost like the biggest thing of all, right? And Mac Jones was able to do that. I thought he was really – one of maybe his most impressive game was against Brady in that midseason uh, mm-hmm. night game. Um you know, he he just missed by a sliver of breaking Dak Prescott's rookie record for uh, percentage, uh, 65.57. It was just uh, 18 percentage points, I think it was, behind uh, Dak Prescott. He did really well for a rookie. And, yeah, I do believe, as you do, Matt, that Devontae Parker is, is going to help him. And if they're smart, they'll really, uh, with their new offensive system, whatever it might end up being, they will use the tight ends a lot more. And basing it off, like it's almost as though if Kyle Shanahan took over as offensive coordinator, he'd go, "This is my team. I got a young quarterback who's you know mobile enough that can do the waggle and and do some do play action all over the field and roll out if you want to." And he's super accurate. I mean, it, if you if you switched head coaches, almost that that'd be an interesting thought experiment. But all that said, I just I think Miami has on paper a, a more talented team than New England, and and it would surprise me if. Miami doesn't finish that. 
Speaking of talented teams, the, the crew over at Value Home Centers got you guys hooked up. Customers can shop anytime at valuehomecenters.com. Buy online, pick up today in the store, find a huge selection of products that ship to your local store from their warehouse for free. Head over to valuehomecenters.com. Get yourself hooked up. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Before we move on, Ryan, I want to hit really quickly on the New York Jets because I think they're, to me, a really interesting team. And it all as always, comes down to what is Zach Wilson going to be in year two, right? He's obviously been in the news the last two weeks, uh, very New York quarterback kind of headlines. But all that notwithstanding, if he takes a step, you you look at, on the field, I mean, you look at the talent that they've now put around him. They got what you were talking about earlier, weapons at the receiver position, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Braxton Berrios. They went out and they brought in CJ Uzoma from Cincinnati who went on a Super Bowl run last year, got some of that playoff experience, and they've, they've gotten better on their offensive line. And if, if Makai Becton can be any type of player, this all of a sudden becomes potentially a formidable team led by a defensive-minded coach in Robert Sala. I think they still have talented pieces on the defensive side. What do you, th- what do you make of the Jets? I agree with what you just said, just not this year. Not just young. They are ridiculously young. Extremely talented, but ex- ridiculously young at the offense, the key offensive playmaking positions. They could very well start Zach Wilson, year two, who missed a chunk of year one. Uh, Elijah Moore, year two, wide receiver. Garrett Wilson, of course, the rookie out of Ohio State, year mm-hmm. one. Brees Hall is probably going to start at running back, a rookie. That's a young – I mean, that's that almost – embarrasses what Jimmy Johnson and the Cowboys did. And what is it, 90, 91, when they finally had, I think it was 91, right? When they finally got Emmett in there to join Troy Aikman and, and Michael Irvin. I mean, yeah, they have that type of a potential, but it's always potential with the Jets, right? And they're young. And is the defense good enough to carry that team this year? They're going to have to carry that team. It's going to take these guys a while to figure it out, right? Given the division that they're in, they're going to have to play the Bills twice, maybe a good Miami team twice, and then New England twice will always give some problems. When's the last time they beat the, the Patriots? I, I just don't see it this year. Uh, but if I'm a Jets fan, I think they were right to uh, to whoop it up on draft night because given their position and what they've been going through all these years, it, it was about as good a night as in a good an off season as I suppose as they could hope to have. But you know, I, I did a, a in all of my team by team breakdowns I did in, in my weekly newsletter, which comes out every Wednesday. If you want to sign up for it, folks, there you um, go at TorontoSun.com. Um, free in your inbox, two thirty every Wednesday. I did Boom. I, over eight weeks. I did four, uh, all four. I did all eight divisions, four teams a week, right? And I did a little did you know element, and I was even surprised at this. Since the sixties, the Jets have won the AFC just AFC East twice, ninety eight and two thousand two. I mean, even the Detroit Lions <laughs> have won their division, whether it's the NFC North or the or the NFC Central at the time, they've won it three times, more than the Jets. I mean, how, how can that even be possible, right? <laughs> so if you're a Jets fan and you and you happen to be uh, somehow stumbled onto our broadcast here tonight or, or our podcast, maybe there's, uh, there is there is hope for your team. I just don't see it this year. They're just too young, and they've got growing pains to go through. Yeah, I agree. One of the, the best drafts of anyone, but that's to be expected when you have four top 40 picks, uh, three in the first round. Better and, be right. at that. Yeah, you, you better get better on paper. That's true. And now I, I, I think you've hit upon it a little bit, but in your opinion, what's the biggest concern for the Bills this season? Maybe maybe mm-hmm. it's not on the field with a player. Maybe it's a, a coaching transition or change. Uh, in your opinion, what's the, the biggest concern? I'm interested to see who will be the go-to number three wide receiver for Josh Allen this year. I mean, I suppose it could be uh, Isaiah McKenzie certainly showed times that because let's after the Kansas city game, if we are all still, if there's any doubts, he's for a living fact, your number two ace wide receiver. 
after Stefan Diggs. I don't think anybody can can debate that now. Uh, after that, what do you have? Five touchdowns? What do you have? Four? Four like, touchdowns. Gabriel, Gabriel, Gabriel Davis. Crazy, right? And and every every one of them was like, all right, this guy's he, – he is the guy. But if you look at over the years, I tend try to look at – as I, I kind of mentioned a little earlier, but if you look at over the years – Quarterbacks that have three really good wide receiver targets, um, or even if you're got a Gronk who can almost be like uh, as effective as a good wide receiver, uh, not just a, a dump off tight end. Um, but if you have three downfield options from your wide receiver position that are dangerous and can get open, I think that takes your offense to another level. I've just I believe that since the year that that convinced me was uh, 2011 with the New York Giants, they had. Uh, gosh, I'm not going to be able to remember them now. Mario Manningham and a, and a couple other veterans. That oh yeah, they had Toomer? some good guys on that team. Mar- Did they have Tumor on the team? Was, I think it was post Tumor. Post Tumor. Uh, as the Michigan guy, I can remember that Mario Manningham. Tyree, right. David Tyree, David was he Tyree in the next there? Be. He he might have been. Um, and then then it wasn't a Cruz. Um, Victor uh, Cruz, Victor yeah, Cruz. Victor Cruz, yes. and then somebody else. At any rate, he had three that year, and I don't remember him having those kind of options years before and after and then he wouldn't look back and i again there's tyree and and tumor and somebody else in 2007 i thought well maybe that's kind of something that uh that really helps a quarterback if you can't if you can't lock maybe you can lock down two of them but you can't take away the third and the fourth and uh, in the years where brady has had those the the plethora of options that he go cover adelman fine i'll throw it to amandola on the little slant for the third and Mm -hmm. fourth to get the first down that you know that ends uh, EJ Manuel's first uh, game with the Bills back in 2013. I always remember that. Just a stupid little dump, dump off slant. But everybody else, Hockey you know, next was that it? What else? It, that's it. That's exactly what it was. Yes. There you go. Levi, Levi on, on YouTube. Pulls it out. Big guy. Way. Way get. There it is. But, but if you've got three. So for the Bills, you guys tell me, who do you think that number three, uh, the best chance of that is? Could it could it be? Can you consider Dawson Knox and you go tight end? If not, maybe it's Jamison Crowder. I think looking at the Kansas City model, I mean, they thrived off of a wide receiver, you know, two wide receivers, depending on like really the blueprint for the Kansas City Chiefs was when they had Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill, their top two guys, and then Kelsey as that third guy. And and at times, Kelsey was their top guy, depending on what year, what game. So I think it, it can happen. But I don't know. I, I I'm a very big believer in what I think McKenzie can be for this offense. We've been talking about it the last couple of weeks on the show, if you look at the, the way that this, been, that this thing's been constructed, Jamison Crowder kind of comes in in that Cole Beasley role, right? Which kind of diminished a little bit last year. But you take yeah. all the off the field stuff aside, just that role in the offense wasn't as, you know, uh, highlighted as it's been in the years past. For sure. And I think Gabriel Davis was that third guy behind Emmanuel Sanders at times and Stefan Diggs, kind of that utility guy that can do everything. I think McKenzie kind of slots into that role. Crowder can play that role of Beasley, and then you kind of let everybody else fight it out for what what other opportunities there will be. I think mm-hmm. Khalil Shakir is a guy that they really like in the fifth round this year. He's got to prove it over the next few weeks, few months, but right. I think he can maybe find himself a role. And, you know, they, they have a lot of talent, just to your point. I don't, maybe we're not thinking about it enough. You know, without that other established big name, unless you want to consider McKenzie that, he's been in this offense with Allen the longest. Uh, going back to 28 the second Patriots game that he just was catching oh, exploded. And, yeah, yeah, exploded. And him all game long. That was, I mean, that was almost like his Kansas city game. Uh, like it was mm-hmm. for Gabriel Davis, uh, as far as, you know, putting his hat in the ring for this position that we're talking about one acquisition, you know, a lot of people aren't talking about much at all. I don't know how much you guys might've done it so far. Um, and that is OJ Howard. He's got all this talent. Everyone thought this he is going to be like the next star tight end in the NFL. Just didn't do it. Just didn't do it. Kept waiting. Oh, now Brady's there in Tampa Bay. Now he'll become this guy. It didn't happen. Is this, did he just need a change of scenery as some players do, a different area? Maybe this is a, a, an offense and an environment and a culture where he can he can thrive. Uh, I'm interested to see uh, because the guy's got talent. He's got talent galore, and uh, he's overcome injuries the last couple of years. But could he be sort of a missing link, perhaps, uh, for the offense as just a guy that you know picks you up some some uh, big plays or some big big first downs? So if, if you've got two tight ends now, then again that changes the offense and takes it potentially to another level. Some people were not happy with my uh, reporting out of uh, minicamp and uh, OTAs 
that there was a little bit of a sluggish nature to OJ Howard's game. Uh, I was expecting a little bit more athleticism, but again, part of that is the process of learning a new playbook. The bills offense is very complicated. Emmanuel Sanders said that last year. So there's kind of like a malaise, I think for a lot of these guys that come on in year one early on, that it's almost like they're going half speed, in the half speed drills even, you know, so mm-hmm. I, 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 and I've made sure to, to mention that, but you know, some people thought I was dumping on him. It, it definitely wasn't that it'll be interesting. Once things, you know, he has now six weeks to dive mm-hmm. into that playbook, get really, uh, you know, comfortable with it. We'll see it right. here in the next month. Uh, if, if it starts to go to that next level, but I think that's a, a really good uh, observation to take it back to our kids just a little bit here. And that is, uh, you know, it's fun when you're talking to, you know, baseball parents or soccer parents or whatever. And and the one thing is true of all sports. And it's, I think it's a, all levels, not certainly to the degree in the NFL, but as soon as the mind is unsure, the feet stop. <laughs> right. And so if somebody Indeed. looks sluggish, if they're not sure what they're doing, it's like, should I be going over there? The feet stop. That's, yep. that's when they're not sure what they're doing. So if it's just a matter of learning a playbook and shedding a few offseason bounds, who knows? I'm not saying I'm predicting that he could be great um, or will be, but uh, I think there's a potential. there. Very important to know he is coming off. You know, he came back and played last season, but coming off of those leg injuries, it takes time. And, you know, you still probably want to be careful with that. So it'll be fun. OJ Howard will be somebody really fun to cover over the next uh, few weeks preseason training camp. All right. Uh, Before I let you out of here, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I want to hit on Deshaun Watson because a, your thoughts on this whole situation, you know, it's something that since you cover the NFL, it's something you've obviously been following very closely. The impact of this situation on the league is one thing. And then the impact of the suspension on just how these kinds of cases are treated is another thing. What do you, where do you think we're headed? And if Deshaun Watson can play at any point this season, what does that mean for the Browns? Where does that place them in the AFC? And I, you know, wherever you want to start with it, I guess. <laughs> it's a well, lot. You know, I'm not going to get too deep into my thoughts on um, what happened because I mean, there's certainly a lot of circumstantial evidence and, uh, right. and the man hasn't been taken to court and hasn't been uh, convicted or even got to a point where there's enough evidence that they think they can take him to court for a trial. So that's one point I want to make. Secondly, why are you seeking out, according to the New York Times, was it 60 different massage therapists? And it wasn't just massage mm-hmm. therapists, it was other things as well. I mean, it seems as though he was searching uh, for more than just a massage. Now, what does that then uh, warrant as far as um, the civil suits, that most of which he has now settled? Um, and then uh, how does that reflect on the league for, or the whole uh, nature of why uh, he faces the suspension, which is basically their their uh, mandate of uh, any player that or uh, employee of the league that brings disrepute to the league. I mean, you're going to potentially be suspended. So will he be? I think we could argue all of the, 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 the back and forth on that all night long, I suppose. But it looks as though a, some kind of punishment is coming. And the NFL is uh, going back to Ray Rice and other things. They are certainly pushing for a report, say, for a year. And uh, I don't think that would be wrong at all if he had a year. Um, and some would certainly argue that it, that wouldn't even be enough. But the man's going to has assigned a contract two months ago or three months, I guess now, for almost a quarter billion dollars. Um, and the Cleveland Browns have put everything here. They got rid of a number one draft pick of just four years ago. who just played hurt. I've got a lot of criticisms of Baker Mayfield, but he was clearly hurt in about three, four of the games I watched and was not his. I mean, you just have to look at the late the season before when, you know, they practically beaten almost by right should have beaten the chiefs in Kansas city uh, a year before the Bengals did it in the playoffs. So they got rid of that guy for Deshaun Watson and, is Watson that much more talented than Baker Mayfield? Maybe, root talent-wise. Has he proved on the field that he can be a consistently great quarterback? I don't believe he ever has. I mean, I might get a lot of people criticizing me for that, but I thought he was kind of hit and miss, and hit and miss within games, and Bills fans all know the playoff game two years ago, the wild card game. What did he do in the first two and a half quarters? Nothing. And then, you know, with a few magical plays and a bit of luck, hold it out. So I think that game is almost, to me, almost like a microcosm of of his career, is that it's very hit and miss 
um, you know, if we're talking roller coaster here, we're going to Cedar Point or Kings Island or whatever, and it's the biggest one that goes high, and then you got big lows too. So what what does that mean for the Browns? Uh, long story short, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if they're going to win. Even if they had Deshaun Watson, I'm not sure, uh, depending on how they call plays this year with Watson instead of uh, an unhealthy Mayfield at quarterback. I don't know if they're going to be that uh, – if, if they were automatically going to rival the Bengals anyway, the Bengals are better this year and they just about won a Super Bowl. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the Bengals are the all the, the best team in the conference. I believe the bills are followed by the chiefs and the, and the Bengals probably pretty closely, but the Bengals big thing was, was the offensive line and their offensive line is better and maybe appreciably better this year. So they're, they're def- They've got almost the whole defense back and they've, and they spent the draft and, and a lot of their offseason moves improving that defense too, not just the offensive line. So they might think that they're so they're 20% better, perhaps the, the Bengals coaches think they are this year. So what were the Browns going to do with Deshaun Watson this year, other than maybe disappoint their fans another year? It doesn't take much to disappoint them. So it almost maybe gives everybody in Cleveland, which is maybe what they need, uh, their whole leadership, Andrew Barry, the GM and Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, maybe just gives them, uh, a longer rope to try to get this figured out with one of the most impatient owners in the league. I believe I had a note uh, in the Did You Believe of the Cleveland Browns, uh, my my piece on them, that Barry and uh, Stefanski together going into this year now are the longest serving duo of a GM head coach that the Browns, I think, have had since the 80s. And it's four years. So they're, it's like less than Bean and McDermott is already setting uh, – you know, uh, 21st century records with the Cleveland Browns, right? So um, I don't think that they were that they have to win this year, whether they have them or not. And my hunch is, is that he'll be suspended for most of the season. If not yeah, and John, even if they did have Watson for the entire season in some crazy scenario, is it unfair to say that they're probably still the third best team in that division? Because the Ravens, you mentioned it earlier, they were dropping like flies last year. You're going to have J.K. Dobbins back at running back. Obviously, most importantly, Lamar Jackson back there. They still have three really good tight ends on that roster, and that's been the the bread and butter for that offense over the last few years, too. So with the Bengals being the the leaders of the division with Baltimore coming back with, you know, all this talent that they lost one year ago and, and even the Steelers. Yes. There, there's some questions about that quarterback play, but they still have some talent there too. Is it far fetched to believe that the Browns wouldn't have finished third or even been fighting for last in that division? Yeah. Well, I, I believe what you just said. Totally Ryan. I think the Ravens, I mean, they were leading the division going into November, if I recall correctly, uh, before the floor, you know, once the secondary, uh, they lost uh, their mm-hmm. top players in the secondary to to match all the other injuries that they had, mostly on offense. That was it. I mean, they they lost most of their games down the stretch. Um, but they also had one, if not one of, if not the best offseason of any team in the league. You look at the draft, it felt perfectly for them all the way down, um, getting the Notre Dame safety, the number one okay. safety. You could argue that, I think, I forget the names but uh, in, in the players right now, but I think they had three or four players that you could argue was the best at their position that they drafted as you go down the list. And then they they brought in some pieces. Now you say, as you said earlier, you know, they need wide receivers, but is there any team in the league that isn't as screaming, crying for them to make their offense work like the Ravens? They need, you know, they, they, they've got the tight end and, and I think that the Ravens are going to be a lot better. And, uh, and if they don't make the playoffs, it's only going to be because the AFC has, quarterbacks yeah. palooza i mean just look at the afc west for quarterbacks Derek carr got Devonte adams and he's still probably only going to be regarded as the fourth best or fourth best, most productive quarterback in that division right after yeah. wilson and and patrick mahomes and uh, justin herbert with the charges who's spectacular so uh, the ravens will be better for sure and uh, i think they'll surprise people I am excited to cover this NFL season. Hopefully we get to see you in person, John Crick. Uh, have you been back to the States since the uh, borders have reopened? Not for work yet. Not All right. Um, but, All right. You know, with uh, the, the lockdowns and everything having ended, right? For good. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to be able to make it down to at least some of the, the Bills home games this year, if not all of them as, as usual, pre-pandemic, going back to 2012 that I've been doing this. And then um, 
then hopefully, you know, playoffs after that and, and Super Bowl. But uh, in other league events, which I, you know, scouting combine and all the other things that I usually go to, it'll be nice to be able to have the opportunity to do those things uh, this coming season. This season, you know, we talked about it briefly, just about the AFC other quarterbacks. There have been so much intrigue with the, that that flurry of trades in March. Was there ever a more news-packed March in this league? Mm-hmm than this past year's as far as player movement and, and acquisitions. And uh, so now we've just been kind of almost like uh, uh, running on the treadmill on, in one spot now for five months. Can't wait for all this to get going. You mentioned uh, the newsletter. Uh, Floor is yours. Shout out anything uh, where people can find uh, your your work and anything that you got coming up that you want people to be ready for. Sure. Well, I work for the uh, Post Media, which owns uh, almost all big major dailies in Canada. Uh, including the Toronto Sun, this is where I started years ago, and even many decades ago. Um, but if you go to torontosun.com as one of our websites, um, uh, of the many of all those dailies, they'll have my copy there. Um, you can read my stories there. Um, and if uh, you just go to that torontosun.com and then just follow the links from sports to football to NFL, and my copy will be there throughout the season, as it always is. Um, and there's a new newsletter that I started in January where I'm just kind of hitting out at various things. I did this little project of trying to be on top of all these teams uh, over the last eight weeks. Um, and I hope that those will eventually get into the paper um, in an edited form, which means that they'll go online and then I can send out those links eventually. But you could just go to torontosun.com and in the, uh, the balcony there, there will be uh, rotating ads. And then you'll see uh, for newsletters, mine will be there and you can just click on that. And in your inbox every Wednesday, 2.30, you'll get my, uh, my quirky thoughts on uh, things, bills, NFL-wise, all through the season. John, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. I always enjoy it, guys. Uh, this was the best one yet. A lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks awesome. All right. So for everybody else, Value Home Centers has a loyalty program. It's called Best Rewards. Uh, customers earn points for, for purchases every day that will bring them more savings. Veterans and active military, you earn double points on every purchase every day. Uh, head over to valuehomecenters.com uh, for more information. They actually have their weekly ad out. I was just taking a look at it, Ryan, uh, before we started. Grill Pro 4-Burner Stainless Steel uh, 40,000 BTU Gas Grill normally goes for $330. It's on sale for $299. You can get that right now. They also have uh, a DeWalt drill. It looks like $60 savings right now. You can get it for $99. A lot of savings to be had over at Value Ryan. Not to mention maybe some of the coupons that they can get going to uh, the text program, Matt, that you mentioned earlier in the show. Big news, and sorry, I don't want to keep you here, John, but we have a live show coming up. We'll have more about this next week, but we are going to be live in person at Resurgence Brewery, uh, downtown Buffalo, next Friday. We're going to have a couple special guests that we're lining up. We're excited for that, but if you want to uh, watch us, we'll be live on all the channels. You can also come to Resurgence, meet us in person, check out the show. It's going to be a really cool production. Uh, I went over there today, check out the space. We're really excited about it. Ryan, you set it up. I mean, it's going to be a fun time. We're going to get you to Buffalo, which is big news. Yeah, always a good time. I can already taste the on the tea sour, Matt. I'm ready. I am ready for Resurgence Brewery in this podcast. (laughs) All right. Hit that like button. Subscribe before you go. We'll be back next Wednesday. Two shows. Andrew Galarno from the Buffalo News. Jenna uh, Cottrell from Rochester. Uh, They're going to be on the show on Wednesday. And then we'll have the live show on Friday. And then, Ryan, we have a live show on Sunday when training camp kicks off. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.